0: Good morning, everyone. Doing well this morning? Oh boy! Everyone doing well this morning? <laughs> hey, we'd like to welcome those that are watching through live stream today. I'm excited that you're joining in with us too, and uh, hopefully you come and worship with here with us uh, today. We're continuing the story of Ruth. Uh, It's an amazing story of redemption. I love chapter 4. If we could just stay here for a while. It's a beautiful story of love. Uh, A man that's in love with a woman and wants to redeem her and is willing to love her and ransom her with love. But when you ransom with love, when you step out and pursue God, there requires a plan to unfold. The whole redemption story for us just didn't happen on its own. God had a plan. He sent his son Jesus. He ransomed us with his love at the cross. And because of that, we have an opportunity to have salvation through Jesus Christ. It's the same way with the story here that we've been walking through. It's a beautiful story of of love. It's a story of redeemer. It's a story of a guardian redeemer. But it requires a plan. Boaz has found out that he has a chance to redeem Ruth. And so we're going to see today, he's a shrewd businessman. We're going to see today that he taps into the laws of the land, but he knew that he had a chance. Every time I read chapter four, I always think about the movie Dumb and Dumber. When when they look at each other and they find out, he looks at the girl and says, what are my odds? And his friend says, one in a million. So he says, you're saying I got a chance. When I look at this story, for me, it's like, Boaz is looking at there's someone else in line, so you're saying I have a chance, and he has a plan. It requires a plan for us to accomplish God's will. For instance, if a couple weekends ago I was able to go to Alaska and, and, and to do a men's conference with men from all parts of Alaska from five different churches came and we met together on Thursday, Friday and Saturday, and I spoke in a church on Sunday morning. It was a great time to get to know men in Alaska and see their heart be for Jesus Christ. And we stayed a couple extra days. Uh, Sam Armington and, and myself stayed a couple. And we explored. We hiked. We went to a place called Mount Marathon. you got to check that out. It's an incredible race up a mountain and then down a mountain. Uh, they come back bruised, scraped, bloody. Those of you who are Spartan people and Tough mutters. That's the race for you. Nothing like it in USA. We hiked up there and, and saw that. But we spent a day fishing. But it required a plan for us to go fishing. Imagine not having a plan to go fishing to catch a fish. Imagine us going to the harbor where we did and walking on a boat and not looking to see what the weather was, without any rain gear, without any food to eat. Imagine us, the captain saying, hey, let's go fishing. He, he would take our boat out. There were six of us on the boat. And as we get out, and he dropped his anchor and says, let's fish. And you look around, there's no fishing poles. <laughs> and there's no bait. And, like, that doesn't make sense. It's like, how are we going to go fishing? How are we going to catch fish if we don't have a plan? There, we need a plan. It's the same with hunting. And imagine going hunting, you're going deer hunting and you're going with a friend, and your friend comes to pick you up, and as he picks you up, you hop in the car, and you go to the woods, and he looks at you. You walk to the woods without a gun, without a scope, without orange on, and you lean against a tree, and he's like, what are you doing? Well, I'm hunting. No, no, you're not. You're standing. You need a plan in order to play out God's will. Let me give you a a backstory here. When we were fishing in Alaska, it was one of the most it was one of the neatest experiences I've ever experienced. We were going halibut fishing and I had never been halibut fishing in my life. So I read a little bit, but you go there and they put a three pound weight on a line and then you stand on the side of the boat and you let it touch the bottom and so it drops to the bottom and then you wait until you get a hit on the line. And it's not like bass fishing or bluegill. When you get a a, a bite, you, you yank back and you try to set the hook. It sets the hook. So as I'm standing there, there were six of us on this boat. We're driving out into the middle of, of, of the bay, and we get out there, and no kidding you, five minutes in, one guy caught a fish, he brought it in, it was a nice-sized halibut, and he brought it in, and then there was a, a, a sun and a daughter who were married, and he happened to be a pastor in Boston, which was incredible. We've been keeping in contact. God providentially brought us together. His mom and dad were there. And so you had a grandmother and a grandfather and then Sam Armington and I. So he catches a fish, and then the, the, the daughter catches one, and, and, and then grandma catches one and brings it in. And I'm standing there. Here's what I'm thinking. Man, am I going to catch a fish? You know what I mean by that. And I'm standing there, and then the, the other pastor caught one. It's like, wow, he's a pastor. I should catch one too. And he catches one, and then Sam catches one, and we're standing there. And I watched them reeling in, and one of them was a struggle to bring in, and he was working hard to bring it in, and and it was I don't know, it was two and a half feet or so. And so I'm standing there, and then and then you can see the captain. He's kind of walking over towards me. He wants to help this guy out who can't catch fish. And it's like, man, it's doing a lot for my identity right now. You know, just. And I remember praying before I left, Lord, I'd love to catch a fish at least three foot or longer. Just give me a fish. I want to have one of those pictures, God, just one of those pitchers. And, and at that point, I was praying, God, just give me a bite. Like, <laughs> give me a bite. And it was going on, everyone on the fish, on the boat caught a fish except for me. And we're like an hour into this fishing journey. And so I'm standing there and everything about me is thinking, man, I'm doing the right stuff. And finally, a, a hook came and, or a bite came. And on the other end was this fish. And so I began winding this fish in, I kid you not, and it was hard. Like, I'm telling you, it was hard. And I was thinking, am I this weak? <laughs> I just watched Grandma catch one. She brought it in. <laughs> and I'm thinking, if that fish comes in, it's only this big, I quit. <laughs> I'm serious. That That's the other side of my mind. There it is. That's me. And so I'm bringing it in, winding it, and I'm serious. I was getting tired. It was like 25 minutes in, and and so the captain came over and I felt a lot, better. he came over and he saw me it. And first the mate came over, the first hand came over and she said, are you still reeling that fish? It's like, oh, jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I am weak. <laughs> like, man, all those pushups for nothing. <laughs> and finally the captain came over and he said, oh, that's a big fish. Whew. It's like, maybe it is a big fish. And, and so it wound it in and, and short story is this fish came in and it, 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 and you know what's like in water. That thing looked like it was 10 feet long. I was like, holy cow. And, and he brought it in and he had to get this gaff and bring it in. And it was five and a half feet. Like it, it was a big fish. Um, all that to say is, imagine me going there and going fishing without poles and without uh, rain gear and without bait. And, and we need a plan to ransom. Boaz, I love his plan we have a lot to learn from it. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you and turn to Ruth chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 1 to 5 to start out. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Uh, And turn to Ruth chapter 4, Genesis, Exodus, Vidigas, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And we're going to read verses 1 to 5. Would you stand with me as we read it out loud together? Look how this ransom, this redemption takes place. It required a plan. Uh, Chapter four, verses one to five, would you read it with me? Ready, read. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down. There, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you bide in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. You may have, fine, you may have a seat. Love finds a way. Back up, just, I love... Naomi's assessment of Boaz, she looked at him and knew that he was a man on a mission. Just look at the last verse of chapter 3 and verse 18 that we looked at last week. These were her words when Ruth came back with all kinds of supplies. In verse 18, it says, and Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is what today. What does it say? Settled today. I get the picture that Boaz has a plan. Why? Because he took ten elders with him. Like, he just didn't go to the city gate, and he just didn't take a walk. He went to the city gate because at the city gate, that's where the judicial matters were held. And in ancient Orient, during this time, the gates were the opening to get to the city. And the cities normally were up on top of a hill. And so there were often guards there. And so if you had a matter to settle and you needed, we would understand a notary, you would take people with you, and the matters were settled at the city gate of the towns. So picture him, he's seated at the city gate with 10 elders. Why 10 elders? I'll tell you why, because he was expecting a deal to take place. He was hoping that Ruth would be his wife. He was hoping that this guardian redeemer would walk by. He was patiently living out what God had in his life. Yet too often, we want God to follow through for us and bring it to fruition, but we aren't willing to do what he wants to do. There are times to patiently wait on the Lord, and I believe Boaz has patiently wait, but there are times when the Spirit says, go, move, do, not just sit and renew strength, but move. And he puts it into action. Sometimes we, we aren't willing to do what God is willing to do. We ask him to come through for us, but we aren't willing to follow through. So I would say this. Don't ask God to guide your footsteps if you're unwilling to move your feet. It requires courage. In this case, Boaz is a courageous man. And any great move of God requires a courageous man or woman to be willing to move, to be willing to act, to be willing to do. There comes a point where we're moved into action. I love the providential hand of God throughout this whole account. Look at chapter 4, verse 1 again. These words capture it so well. It says, verse 1, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there. What's the next two words? Just as it says the guardian redeemer came by. That's God's providence showing up. However, keep in mind this. The only way the just as took place is because Boaz moved his feet and had a plan of action. He was moving to chase his dream. He was going after his love, he wanted to see this take place. He wanted to see whether or not this next in line guardian redeemer would have a chance. So he's moving in action. The providence of God unfolded as his feet moved to the destination of his dream. And it should be no surprise that God who supernaturally created the universe should choose at times to supernaturally intervene for us. Amen? Amen. There are moments where God just steps in. We shouldn't be surprised by it. There's this sense of, God, you are able. God, you can do anything. And I picture Boaz kind of having that heart that morning. I'm going to move to where this guardian redeemer would be. You see, he was expecting a miracle. That's hope and faith in action. His confidence in God was oozing all over the place. Let me just pull away. Do you live with that kind of sense of expectancy with God? Is your prayer life that way? Lord, I believe. God, I thank you in advance. God, you are able. God, you can do immeasurably more, exceedingly more than what we are asking or imagining. Do you live with that sense of expectancy over this sickness that has been in your family do you live with that sense of expectancy that today could be the day that that broken relationship could be restored? Do you live with that sense of expectancy that today could be the, the day that you meet Mr. Wright and or Mrs. Wright? Do you have that sense that this could be the day? He says when he meets him, and I want you to look at this. This is interesting, the phrase here. As he's seated there, the guardian redeemer comes, and Boaz said, come over here, my what? What's it say? Friend. In Jewish Hebrew rabbinic tradition, which is where this is birthed out of, this term, my friend, became synonymous with unknown, or as we would understand where we get, John Doe. And so during this time, when Jewish rabbis or, or Hebrew children would say, my friend, it's like, unknown, John Doe, he never gives the name of this guardian redeemer that's in line. Let me briefly share a little more because it's important in regards to guardian redeemers to understand why Boaz couldn't and why this and why, have you ever wondered, like it's been going, how come Naomi just didn't get the land? Like, why does someone else get the land? Like, how come Ruth doesn't get the land from her husband? Like, have ever you wondered, like, how come all these other people can redeem it? But Naomi can't. Well, she was the wife of Elimelech. And why can't Ruth get it when she's the wife? Well, let me give you some customs and laws of the day. According to the law of this time, land was passed down from the father to a son first. Or if there wasn't a son it went to the guardian redeemer. Properly, property could pass from father to daughter, listen to me, if there was no son, it could pass. So, if there was no son, then property could go from dad, from Jim, to Hannah, and not to Josh or Isaiah. But the law did not make specific provision for a husband to his wife. So, Elimelech, this land that's available is his. He dies. It goes to Malon. Malon, it bypassed Naomi and went to Malon because he was a son. Malon dies, who's married to Ruth. It bypasses her because it doesn't go to a wife. And since there's no sons, then the land of Elimelech is available to a guardian redeemer, who is John Doe, the unknown That's here. That's why Naomi and Ruth were widows. That's why they had to stand in the food lines. That's why they stood at the window day after day looking for food and gleaning because they couldn't, by law, take and have this land. But if a guardian redeemer came in and was willing to marry, his brother's widow, then she would not only have a husband, but she would have the property too. So look what unpacks here again. Look at verse four. It says this. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention, Boaz said, and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, Tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. So, Mr. Unknown, John Doe, my friend, says, I will what? What does he say? Now, keep in mind here, whose name is never mentioned up to this point? Ruth. Boaz has no mention of Ruth. He makes no mention of... By the way, he was a shrewd businessman. We're supposed to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. There's nothing wrong with being a shrewd businessman. Very shrewd businessman here. And so he looks at this John Doe and he says, hey, Naomi has just come back from Moab. And so this guardian redeemer is thinking, oh, there's land. He doesn't say that she has a daughter-in-law who comes with her. And so this guardian redeemer says, I'll buy it, I'll buy it, I'll buy it, I'll buy it, I'll buy it. it." Then Boaz says this, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire who? Ruth, the Moabite. Like, whoa, wait a minute. This guardian redeemer, John Doe, the unknown, my friend guy, he knew the laws of the land. And the laws of the land were that a Moabite wasn't supposed to be sitting in Grace Community Church for 400 years. And that meant, you see, Boaz never says, and by the way, when Ruth was coming back to Bethlehem, she had this conversion experience on the road, her road to Damascus. And she said that, that her God would be the same God as Naomi and that her people would be the same people as Naomi and she would die with Naomi. He never brings that to the tension. All, she, all he says is, by the way, if you take the land, remember, you get the Moabite, you get the devil worshiper, and she comes along with it. Shrewd businessman. Very, very. And then it says this. Watch what happens to the guardian redeemer. The guardian redeemer says then, In verse six, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Why? Like, have you ever wondered how it would endanger his estate? Like, how could getting a wife and Ruth and a mother-in-law, who was bitter, by the way, How could that endanger your state? Got to come back to customs and laws during this time. You see, the firstborn son would legally be Malon's son. Now let me back up, because some of you haven't been for the whole journey. Malon was Ruth's husband, sick. Remember sick and sicker, Malon and Kilion, the Hebrew names? Now you have Boaz, which means strong man. You see, when you as the guardian redeemer married, widow left behind then your first son would by law become the son of Malon legally I know what that means what happens in, when you redeem something when the land is now given when you die it goes to the son so this my friend John Doe unknown is saying that means this that it when I die that the property is going to go to the son that Ruth and I have and not to the family that I have now. I don't want anything to do with this. See, Boaz saw Ruth as a princess. John Doe saw her as a problem. (laughs) Boaz loved her and was willing to do whatever he could to have her as his own. You see, those who leave everything in God's hands will eventually see God's hand in everything they have. And this is the picture. By law, he's doing what he can, but he's trusting God that this is going to be better than what he could ever imagine. And he's going to marry Ruth, and he's going to possess the land. In his mind, it's okay if, this, if the land is passed down the Melon because he's following the laws of the land, and he is a godly, strong man, Read. Redemption always overcomes setbacks in our lives. Always. That's what Jesus has done for us. So Ruth, or Boaz, says, I will do it. Look, now verse 7, let me help you here. In your Bible and my Bible, there are parentheses. And in parentheses, it's, it's like if you're reading a book. And as you're reading this book, there's a footnote, you know, a footnote like it says one or two or three. And then what do you do with the footnote? You either go down to the bottom of the page and you read the one and you read what it says or you go back to the back of the chapter of the book and the, depending on what chapter you're in, the back of the book, and you follow down chapter seven, footnote number four, and you read this. That's what this is like. It's, it's the original inspired word of God, but it's much like a footnote. So we're walking through, bam, footnote. And here's the footnote, verse 7. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his what? What's it say? And gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Well, let me show you what I mean. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and just a few books back and and I'm going to show you some laws of the land because it's important to understand the, the cultural customs and laws and praise God that we don't have to live under these laws anymore when Jesus came. Amen to that? Deuteronomy chapter 25. Let me just show you some of the laws of the land. Look what it says in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 25. It says, however, If a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her. His brother's widow shall go, look at it, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elder, take off one of his sandals, and what in his face? How would you like that, huh? Spit in his face and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the what? On sandals. Now let me give you a context here to if you do want to follow through. So Boaz sees that the guardian redeemer says, no, I don't want Naomi in her property because Ruth comes along. I got a devil worshiper, the person that worshiped the God of Kamash. We don't want Moabites because for, for years and years and years, our family, we understand, will we'll be cursed. But in order to, to have a transaction, if you were the redeemer, what you would do is you would take the person who's next in line and you would walk with them and you would walk the outside line of the property. So picture John Doe, unknown, and Boaz walking the perimeter of this property that was a that was passed down to Malon, but now the guardian redeemer can have it because you can't pass it down to a wife. And they're walking the outside of the property. And as they get to the outside of the property to seal the deal, John Doe would take off his sandal And he would hand it to Boaz. Literally said, this stamps the right, this is the notary. (laughs) Now, pull away culturally, you're Ruth. And Boaz, Naomi said, what did she say in 318? Basically, this man will not stop until he gets what he wants, basically. Picture Ruth, you're sitting back at home and you're wondering. She's thinking, I kind of like Boaz. Like He's faithful and godly. He's cared for me. Like, I heard that there might be another redeemer, and we don't know, but picture, can you picture Boaz coming back into town? Nah, 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 nah. Holding na 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 na. Hey, 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 you're mine. <laughs> That's the picture I get. Just like, come on. Sometimes we over-spiritualize. He was a man that loved a woman. He says, I got the ring, baby. <laughs> you're mine. So they walk the property. You see, an act of redemption, the ultimate act of personal grace is an undeserved form of courage. Any act of redemption requires great courage. Think about the way that Jesus himself sacrificially and courageously went to the cross for us. Boaz, the strong man, overcomes all the obstacles to redeem. Look what it says in verse 8. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his what? Sandal and handed it to him. You see, where might Boaz be right now if he didn't have hope and follow through and put his feet into action? Where might Ruth and Naomi be? Where would we end chapter 4? Well, I believe that Ruth and Naomi would have been spent their nights lonely, playing bingo, and the line of Christ would never have Boaz and Ruth and Obed and Jesse and David and Jesus. I wonder how much impact you and I are having on the future generations because of our faith, our hope, our plans, our walks. The decisions we are making today will impact generations to come. Now, this was 3,000 years ago. 1,000 years later, because of this decision for Boaz, Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Sometimes we get so locked into thinking, like, this year and this moment and this hardship that we're facing. This is the hardest year of my life and the hardest day of my life. And, and we lose perspective that the decisions that you and I are making right now in our families will impact thousands of generations to come. And literally, this decision that Boaz is making to redeem would ultimately usher in the line of Jesus Christ. Let me show what I mean. Turn to, keep your finger here and turn to Exodus chapter twenty. We often gloss over the positive side of how our lives impact the future generations. We're very familiar that the sins of a father will be passed down and the children will be punished for the third and fourth generation. But verse 6 says this in Exodus chapter 20. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You ever think about that? Sometimes we get locked into our world, our, whatever the years are, and say, man, this is my life. Listen, this isn't all of your life. Your life is impacted forever and ever and ever and ever and ever based on the decisions that you make today. You and I have an opportunity to pass on godliness and faithfulness and a blessing for a thousand generations to come. And people can look back and say, wow, I'm grateful for my great, 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 great grandfather. The best is yet to come. And look at verse 9. So Boaz redeems. And verse 9 says, then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people. Today, you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech. Kilion and Malon, remember? God is my king, sick and sicker. I have also acquired from Ruth the Moabite. I've also acquired her, Malon's widow, as my what? In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. You see, the best is yet to come. Malon didn't leave a plan for his wife. Elimelech took his family from, his wife from, the surroundings of their small group, their church, and lived away from God in the land of Moab for 10 years. But now this man inserts himself and redeems the mess. I love that because it's a picture of Jesus Christ. You see, God's ability to clean things up is greater than our ability to mess things up. Man, that should be good news to you and me today. It, it matters not what we've done, what we will do. God's ability and His grace is more than able to clean up our messes. You see, his, your mess can become His message. Boaz is a noble man and a man of good standing. He carries the legacy of the, of, the, of the dead man and now begins a new legacy. Seriously, talk about legacy here. The line of Jesus Christ is about to come from this man stepping up and doing the right thing. I'll say it again. Boaz saw Ruth as a princess. The unknown man saw her as a problem. I've often thought about this through the years when I think about redemption. And I have a stepfather that was a Boaz. I look back on my life and I think that, you see, when my dad, my stepfather met my mom, she was divorced, unsaved, with four children that's a hard road to look ahead of and say, man, I'm going to marry a woman with four kids. But My stepfather was willing to marry my mom and he loved my mom so much that he was willing to take on his own for a period of his life, us. I am grateful that my stepfather didn't say, I don't want this to endanger my estate. I might love Bev, but Those kids, they're a problem. I'm grateful for Andy stepping into my life. Every time I read this, I think, praise God for my stepfather who was willing to walk into a hard situation and say, Bev, I love you, and whatever comes with you, I'll love them too. That's what Boaz is willing to do here. You see, when his name will be talked about from this point, 3,000 years ago and later, it will be worth gold. He was building a good name. Proverbs 22, 1, Solomon would later say this. He would say, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Seriously, what comes to mind when your name is brought up? I think about this a lot when I do weddings, and I'm standing between the and and the groom and as I stand there with with this couple I'm often think about this do you realize dudes that when this woman marries you she's given up her name and if you've passed down godliness and faithfulness and and that name is a good name known in the community known for years she carries that to the altar and so You as the husband, me as the husband now, like when Ann was standing there, her her name would no longer be Bortner. It would be Brown. And all the rich legacy that was passed on, now when people would see her in public, she would be Ann Brown. Women give up their names to carry your name. What kind of name are you passing on to her? What kind of name, is it still a name of faithfulness? And when I stand there, I want to look at dude and say, listen, dude, this bride has brought a good name here. She's had a faithful dad and a faithful mom and a faithful family. What are you offering her in place of that name? And Boaz restored the name of Malon and Elimelech with what? Strong, powerful godly man. I love that picture. You see, he restores that name. What comes up to mind when you think of some of these names? Tebow. Graham. Madoc. Nixon. Lincoln. What are the things that come to mind when they speak your name you see your name carries value ladies a man without God is a man you can live without (laughs) no matter how much you feel for him and no matter how much your heart flutters in your chest listen to me ladies a man without God is a man you can live without (laughs) Verse 11, watch what happens in verse 11. It says, then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Have you ever wondered why it was Leah? Do you know the story of Leah? Leah was barren. And finally, God allowed her to have a, a child. And, and through one of her children, guess what his name was? His name was Judah. And why is that significant? Because if you look at Revelation 5.5, 5, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he says, may your name, may you have the same blessing as Leah. You see, as we look at this context, most believe commentators and scholars that when Ruth was married to Malon, she was married potentially anywhere from from, from five to ten years. And during that period, she was most likely barren because you ultimately would try to have a child. And so she had no child. But now she gets married to Boaz. He says, may you be like Leah, who was barren, but gave birth to Judah. And by the way, she was like Leah because from her line came Obed and from Obed came Jesse and from Jesse came Jesus or David and through David's line came Jesus Christ. God can redeem. In chapter one, prayer plays such a big part. Chapter two, prayer plays such a big part. Chapter three, prayer plays such a big part. Chapter four, prayer plays such a big part in this whole redemption story. Chapter one, Naomi prayed that Ruth would find a husband, and here he is. Chapter two, prayed that Boaz would be blessed, and now he is. Chapter three, prayed that Ruth would be blessed, and now she is. Chapter four, prayed that a baby would come and be conceived, and we will see that the baby comes. The great hope we find in the Christian faith is that God is not us. <laughs> I'm so grateful, I'm grateful for my friends and I'm grateful for my wife and and our children. I'm grateful for our elders here at Grace and I'm grateful for our staff and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for Christians and brothers and sisters that will pray for me. But let me say that if all I had was you and all you had with me, we would be lost. I'm grateful that when we go to God, he's not us. He can do far more than we can ask or imagine. That's great news in the Christian faith. And he said, may you be famous in Bethlehem. I love that verse because this story begins with the death and it ends with the birth. It begins in Bethlehem and it ends in Bethlehem. And finally, the Savior comes in Bethlehem. All these miraculous answers took place because of God's providence and prayer. Can I just ask a real personal question? Have you prayed about it as much as you have talked about it? <laughs> Your issue. Are you finding yourself talking about it more? Oh, can you know what's happening? This is so hard. Oh, I hope. And, and you find yourself talking, talking, talking with your husband, talking and talking talking with your wife instead of praying and praying with your husband and praying. Are you find yourself talking to your friend in the workplace. Yeah, this has happened to me. I can't wait till all you do is talk about. It. Are you on social media? Talk, 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 talk. Imagine if we spend as much time praying about something as we do talking about something. We need to remind ourselves, too, when we think of redemption, that the sins we cannot forget, God cannot remember. You look back at the story, like, it was a horrible mess. And God just cleans it up. And we're so prone to remember our sins, and God is saying, no, I choose not even to remember them anymore. I will restore from the ashes of that brokenness life. You see, when God looks at you and me, praise God for this, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on us. You see, the gospel effect on your life didn't stop at salvation. It continues. So what can we walk away? What are some truths and principles that we can wrap up this with? Here's just a few for me. Your current circumstances are part of your redemption story. Listen, live with it. Own it. Trust God. It's in our those moments that we we shape and God shapes us and forms us. Keep this in mind. God is working providentially behind the scenes for you. Verse one. Just as the kinsman redeemer came by, it's not luck. That this guy walked by John Doe. It was the providential hand of God. And God is working behind. Just as you leave this room today. Just as you meet at that family gathering tomorrow. Just as you get in your boat and you bump into someone. Just as you walk into the marketplace this week. Just as you punch in on Monday. These encounters are not luck. They're God's providential care. And you got to believe it. You see, we can cling to this promise that the God of Israel is a good God. Here's what I know from accounts like this. Some will never experience this side of the equation. They read reports of God coming through in big ways. They just give up way too soon in the process and they miss out on the miracle of God. Trust him. Don't forfeit your miracle by bailing out too soon. God is madly in love with you. So in the words of a psalmist, don't let your hearts be troubled. Hold your head high. Be strong. Remember where your help comes from. Your help comes from the Redeemer, our great God Lord help us today I pray God that we would not just sing the song as just words just another anthem to wrap up our services and I pray that those watching via the internet would take these truths to wherever they're at and God I pray that we declare these as truth and we would hold tightly that you God can do far more than we ever ask or imagine